I want to introduce to you a good friend, uh, John Dislin, and he's going to introduce his family. And I've been telling you about John for months since I've got this book, Nehemiah Strong. And uh, in fact, somebody was watching online and called John and said, there's a guy that mentioned your book in North Carolina. You need to connect. And so we had lunch together in Winston-Salem when his daughters were visiting over at Wake Forest. And uh, so anyway, welcome John Dislin to the gathering this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for... uh, Coming here today, thank you for tuning in online or tuning in later if you watch it later. I want to say a special thank you to Mary, who's in the back. She's the woman who introduced me to you, uh, follows you online, and she's always wanted to come up here. So thank you, Mary, for uh, introducing us. And uh, before I get started here, I wanted to introduce my family, uh, my wife, Mae Charles. If you'll stand up, please. Mae Charles, and then my daughters, Pearson and Emma. So... They made a, a special effort yesterday to come up. They drove up separate from me and had to drive many hours to, uh, to make it here this morning. So thank you for that special effort. Thank you. If you would, please, I'd like to start with a little scripture. So if you'll turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 40, if that's all right. And uh, we're going to start in verse 25. Um, if I were to title this sermon, and I suppose I have the liberty to do that, I would, I would title it rallying to our father's call, rallying to our father's call. And so we're going to start Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 25. We're going to read to 31 to whom then will he liken me or shall I be equal? saith the Holy one. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known... Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail, or fall, sorry. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And uh, I'd like to say a quick prayer, please. Dear Lord Almighty, uh, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Please bless this word to our understanding. And Lord, give me the words today that, uh, that they may be your words and not mine, that I may speak truth to power 
and, um, and strengthen, equip, and encourage your people here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a funny thing happened on the way to the apocalypse. Um, my lovely wife, Mae Charles, is a native of, of North Carolina, this great state. I'm a native of the extended former portion of the state. I'm from over in Tennessee on the other side of the Appalachians. But uh, May Charles actually grew up in uh, Southern Pines, North Carolina. And, um, you know, we've talked time, from time to time about uh, the Andy Griffith Show. And, of course, if you're old enough, you grew up watching Andy and Opie and, and uh, Barney Fife, you know, with his, with his antics. And uh, I remember hearing years ago, and I was shocked by the truth of this, that... Um, when President Jimmy Carter was running for office, he made the observation that his grandmother's life uh, much more closely resembled the life in the t- uh, people's lives in the times of Moses than it did the times of their lives in the 70s. And uh, I was struck yesterday as I was putting some finishing touches on this, how a comparison like that is true for us where, um, in our growing up and our, our generation, May Charles and mine, uh, our lives growing up are much more like, uh, you know, uh, Andy Griffith show than they are today. And, and my children would see the Andy Griffith show and they think that's, how could that be? But, but we know it to be so. And, uh, and so as sad as it is to say that, because um, it's, too true to our lives to be dismissed that there has been this, this trend, this change. Uh, but yet we know this is true, right, from Scripture, that, that kingdoms rise and fall, and that, uh, in my opinion, I think most of you would agree that we're in this season of falling, right? God lifts up kingdoms, and he brings them down, and we're in, we're in that season. We know that there are afflictions great and small. So at the personal individual level, we have these afflictions going on. Uh, for example, we, we know that there is this uh, universal healthcare treatment that's been going around the last couple of years. And uh, many of us don't want to participate in that for, uh, for pretty good reasons. Also, um, we experience a degree of surveillance that the Nazis would have only dreamed of. They, did, they, they would have done it if they could have, but they didn't have the technology. But for example, I learned a year or so ago that, um, that my family and I, we live in the most video camera surveilled city in the Western Hemisphere by a mile. I mean, by a huge margin. And so we know these things are going on. Also, there, there's these, uh, these trends and these, these cracks in civilization at the national, even the global level. Um, there was a speech given by a, a, a high-positioned politician a couple of weeks ago. I'll call it the red and black speech. You might be familiar with what I'm talking about. And there was a picture of this particular gentleman, and his fists were raised. And people noted how much it looked like uh, a... Uh, diminutive, strangely mustached politician of the 30s from Germany, uh, how, how closely the spirit that embodied that recent speaker, how it must be the first cousin, if not the same one who embodied the one from the 30s. 
All of this is a natural product of a nation and a world that's turned from God. And I'd like to quote uh, from Psalm 14, uh, starting in verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And that the last phrase from that quote from Psalm 14 that might ring in your ears because Paul quoted that in Romans chapter 3. There is none that doeth good, not even one. There's a, a pastor over in Knoxville that I have a fondness for. I know, Pastor David, he, you, you guys would fit together like uh, mashed potato and peas, uh, Charles Lawson. He, he talked about how when he was growing up, he was taught grammar in school from the Bible. The Bible was in the school. And the children knew it. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a survivor of, I think, 18 years in the gulags of the Soviet Union. And he later wrote the Gulag Archipelago. And it was this, it's this astounding work that describes the persecution and the hardship and the slaughter in the, in the gulags of the Soviet Union. He wrote, if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible what was the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people. I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men had forgotten God. That is why all this has happened. And we know from Romans chapter one that the earth itself even groans for redemption, for the return of the Messiah. And so we, we hear from Scripture, the Old Testament, we hear these stories of, of what happened. You know, the, 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 the Israelites giving their babies over to Molech, passing them through the fire. We think, what a peculiar thing. That could never happen here. But it does. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, the second most brilliant man who ever lived after Jesus wrote, What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Let's turn now, hopefully you kept your Bible open, let's turn to Isaiah 59. I'd like to read a few verses, I'm, well, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 of Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, starting in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed, crushed breaketh out into a viper. 
Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the, the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us, neither does justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none, but for salvation, but it is far off from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgression and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. Well, at least in the time of Israel, this, this time of Isaiah, at least these people recognized that there was repentance. There's repentance in these verses. These people are crying out. Are, are there people amongst us who are crying out? I think so, but I think we're a remnant. And, and I'll talk in a moment about remnants, but thank God that he, he always has a remnant. I would encourage all of you listening uh, later, listening now online, but also here today, that um, I would exhort you not to be naive. The decay and the affliction and the oppression that is permeating our society. And I, I could, we could be here all day talking about those things. I'm not going to dwell on them. But it's not by chance, nor is it without a master agitator. You know, as, as Pastor David referenced, I, wrote, I went and wrote a book. <laughs> and it uh, wound up being 480 pages, so it was more of a book than I had planned, but that's, that's what God had planned. And um, when you spend the better part of two years doing a work like that, you have a lot of time to think about it as you're writing and putting things together, and it winds up becoming more than what, what you started with. And um, there was a segment of it, there's a chapter, chapter two of the book, that says, it's titled... Um, Broken arrow, you are here. And, and that's where we are in this affliction is broken arrow. Broken arrow is military vernacular for 
the, uh, the enemy is inside the wire. They're in the camp. And, and that's the era we live in. There's a section of that chapter titled, Results Denotes Design, Design Connotes Intent. So if you've put some bread in something and you push it down and a few minutes pass and it pops out and it's all toasty and brown and delicious, well, that's a toaster. And somebody designed it to toast bread. Likewise, when a certain treatment is distributed and people are, all sorts of pressure applied to people in violation of the Nuremberg Code developed to hang the Nazis after World War II, and uh, a lot of people get sick, well then, results denote design, design connotes intent. It's not by accident. So these are the active works of the enemy. We know the enemy is active. The enemy is led by Satan and his minions who rage against the Lord. There are two, if you want to understand at a deeper level the nature of our enemy, I would encourage you to read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And then you could also weave in Ezekiel 8 for what his followers do in, uh, in honoring him. Uh, and so I, I'd like to read a little passage from Isaiah 14. This is a passage that includes the five eyes. And as you listen to these, I want you to think about the people who do evil in this hour and how whether or not they're honoring the spirit of the leader of their efforts uh, in, in their raging and their five eyes. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? That's in his near future, by the way. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shall be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. So that's his future, but it's not yet, and we know that. So we're in a war. This is a war. In, in modern warfare vernacular, this might be re regarded as fifth generation warfare or asymmetric warfare. There was a gentleman <laughs> decades ago who bought a used copier. And many people don't realize that copiers have memory storage. And this person had you know, some particular technical expertise and they were curious about what was on the, the memory chips in this copier. And what they found was a work called um, Soft Kills for Silent Wars. Now, it's a book now. You can go buy that. But it was never meant for publication. But, but God saw fit for it to come out into the light. And so we know, for example, from Ephesians 6, starting Ephesians 6.10, that, um, that uh, this is a spiritual war. And, and our weapons are not carnal, but are mighty to pulling, the pulling down of strongholds. Starting in, in Ephesians 6, chapter 12, uh, the Apostle Paul details the elements of our, our armor. But before that, he talks about 
uh, we wage not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and evil wickedness in high places, and there's a fourth. But the, the translation of those things is from the Greek, and the Greek is cosmocrater, archon, exousia, porneos pneumanicae. Um, and, and you've got to think about that like a hierarchy. It's like ranking in Satan's army. And so while the Lord Jehovah Sabaoth the Lord of hosts has his army. Satan has his army too. He counterfeits everything. Yeah. He, he's, he has no originality whatsoever. I'm, I'm convinced he couldn't make a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> but he, he, he's a good copier. And so he copies, and, and so he has his legions. And they are active, and they are real. Unfortunately, he also has the traitors to humanity. And so while... I would hope for many of us, if not all of us, that the very idea of being a traitor to our fellow man is uh, revulsive to us. There are more than a few walking around who feel differently. And, and whether it's by greed or fear or that desire like Satan, I will be like the Most High, Right? Think about what, uh, what the Nakash, the serpentine one in the garden, said to Eve. You shall not surely die. Did, did God really say? You shall be as God. You eat of that fruit, you shall be as God. And yet, we know how that turned out. And so there are traitors to humanity. At least Satan, give him his due, Satan is being true to his character. He's, he's out in the open. We, we know that he's our enemy. What are the traitors? And I'd like to read a, a little passage from the beginning of Psalm 2 now. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves. Do you know any kings of the earth that are setting themselves in this hour? And the rulers take counsel together. <laughs> Stupidly. I said that against the Lord and against his anointed, that's you, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So we know how this story ends. We know who's on our side. But in the meantime, there's conflict. We also know, so, so Psalm 2 speaks partly to the regular folk, partly to the leadership, right, of the rebels, the rebel force. Uh, I'd also like to speak uh, for a moment to the, the everyday um, ground troops, if you will. So let's turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. And if you don't have a physical Bible, I would encourage you to get one. And I'm going to start Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. 
But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence that hath its tares? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reaper, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. While men slept, did you have, prior to these recent years, did you have a season when you were sleeping? While you were sleeping, Satan did these things. And, and so there is this division. There are those who uh, walk amongst us but not, not are, are not of us. And we need to be mindful of that. It's a total war. It's a full spectrum, last generation, last day's generational warfare against Three things, in my opinion. Well, four. Him, the Lord, his creation. If you think about the abominations that have been done to nature, to the fields, chemtrailing. His elect. Have you heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? We are persecuted all the day long, and yet we, we know that we should account it as a blessing. And uh, we should be thankful for that. And, and you referenced 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which speaks to joy in the midst of affliction. And then his inheritance. Are you aware of what our adversaries would like to do to our children? And so we know the wickedness of that. We know that Jesus said it would be better for him to tie a millstone around his neck and have it cast into the, into the deepest part of the ocean than to lay up a stumbling block before one of these little ones. And yet they, they proceed. And in fact, something I've been astounded by in my walk is the in, in, in the face of all the evidence, in the face of all the truth and the righteousness and the goodness of, of walking with God and be, being obedient to him, I'm astounded that those who oppose us will not turn. And, and something I've read in Revelation, there are two different passages where God is pouring out his judgment on the world, on the earth dwellers, as my old friend Rest Isdar would, would have put it. And twice, it is apparent in Scripture as they're being judged and they're being punished for their wickedness that they know it's God who's casting judgment. And yet they blaspheme him. They, they, there is no repentance in them. And at that point, I think the only, the only one of those uh, who, who aren't yet to be beheaded uh, for their faith there, there never will be any repentance in them. But we also know that one day, every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we know all these things are going on. We know we're in the midst of a war. We know that the enemy has their little victories, but God. And so I'd like to talk about God for a few minutes. In, in my walk in, in recent years that I think God led me on partly to help prepare me to, uh, to write Nehemiah Strong, uh, I had, I've had an opportunity to train with some really extraordinary men. And um, they're, from, they're from the Army Rangers, they are from the Marines, they're from three-letter agencies, they're from overseas spec ops teams, and, um, and they, they have uh, extraordinary uh, skill sets and understanding. Uh, and all, I, I was blessed because all of these men are strong followers of Jesus Christ. All of them talk about force multipliers. And there are things in your life that can be a force multiplier for this season we, we live in. For example, community. Uh, of course, God is the ultimate. He's the infinite force multiplier. Anything multiplied by infinity is itself infinity. Um, and so God watches in Psalm 27, it says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So we, and, and also if you want to read more about watchmen, which I would encourage you to do, you can read Ezekiel 33. And it's a, it's a, it's a godly office and it's one that hopefully you're attentive to and have respect for. But what a joy it is that, that we know that we're not alone. We know that, that God watches and in fact, there's a, there's a Latin phrase, cave, cave, deus, videt. Beware, beware, God sees all. Now, if you're adopted by him, you're washed in the blood, you're living a repentant life, there's no cave, cave for you. It's all joy. God also warns. In Deuteronomy 28, as Moses was instructing God's people shortly before he passed on and then Joshua led them into the promised land. Uh, Moses said these words, uh, speaking for God, uh, the word of the Lord. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And then it proceeds for 14 more verses, or 13 more verses, to, to talk about all the towering blessings that come to those who honor God. And then in verse 15, it says, but it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And there is an equally lengthy passage of curses for those who rage against the living God. God exhorts. One of my favorite characters, I'm, of course, I'm named John. If I wasn't named John, I'd probably like to be named Joshua <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons, if you know the book of Joshua. But uh, Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan into the promised land after Moses passed away. And before he even crossed the Jordan, uh, 
an angel, a messenger, appeared to, uh, to Joshua. I'm convinced it was a Christophany, that it was Jesus Christ himself, although it's not scriptural. Uh, it's not spelled out that way. But uh, this messenger, this, this angelic being, is exhorting Joshua. And, and so he tells him to be strong and of good courage. A few, few verses later, he says, be strong and of good courage. And finally, I guess they got tired of, you know, telling him over and over. <laughs> I don't know what Joshua was doing in this moment. But in Joshua uh, chapter 1 and 9, this angelic being, Christ, in my opinion, says, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And uh, I had the blessing of walking with uh, Russ Dizdar, who was a, a mighty man of the Lord. He understood spiritual warfare. He had, he had uh, discernment to understand the times. And uh, he, he actually gave me this little pendant here, and it has Joshua 1.9 on the back of it. And, so I, and he wore one himself. And so I believe that, that this exhortation, be strong and of good courage, that, um, that that was the cornerstone, a cornerstone of his ministry. It, it certainly was by his, uh, the life that he led. And, and we know that, uh, you know, this is a promise here. For the Lord thy God shall be with, with thee whithersoever thou goest. That's a promise. And we know from 2 Corinthians 1.20, every promise is yes and amen through Jesus Christ. Every promise is available to you, is offered to you, is made to you, and you need to receive those. The Lord speaks. Let's turn to 1 Kings 19. It's to the left. Let's see. To the right of Samuel's. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 9, 9 to 13. And he came thither unto a cave. Okay, so let me paint the picture here. Elijah has just confronted the demonic uh, priests of Baal, who were headed up by the wicked queen Jezebel, who was lording over Israel. He confronted them and he challenged them. He said, you know, why don't, why don't you build an altar and I'll build an altar and you lay out, you know, slaughter the bull, put one on yours and I'll put one on mine and you call on your gods and I'll call on mine and whichever one wins, wins. And, uh, you know, he gave them hours. They had hours. It went on to noonday, <laughs> as I recall and beyond, and they were cutting themselves and screaming. And of course, Elijah, having a little bit of a sense of humor, mocked them saying, you know, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Cry louder. Maybe he'll, he'll hear you if you cry louder. And so when they were exhausted and done, then he made a, well, before he prayed, he had them dump a dozen uh, casks of water on the altar just to make sure it, it, the sign was clear. He made a simple prayer to God, and God burned up, burned up the bowl. He burned up the, the uh, altar, and he burned up the water. And then they took those wicked priests down to the valley of, uh, oh, what's the name of that valley? The valley where they threw the rubbish, the Kidron Valley. And they slaughtered those wicked priests. Well, somehow, amazingly, after this, Jezebel says, 
you know what you did to my priest, I'll do to you, I swear, by the end of the day. And for some reason, after seeing all this stuff, Elijah runs. And so if you've ever been afraid, you're in good company because Elijah ran, okay? So don't be too hard on yourself. So let's read from, so that's the picture. He's run to Mount Sinai and he's terrified. He believes he's the last one. He believes that he's the only one. So 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13. And he came thither unto a cave. I love, I love King James because you get words like thither. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? <laughs> You've got to love the simplicity of that. What are you doing? <laughs> and he, oh, and by the way, think about this. What if Elijah had just stopped for a moment when he was back in Jerusalem and just prayed and said, Lord, what would you have me do? Do you see that? How he went out on his own, in his own uh, limited fallen understanding and his limited falling under, fallen understanding said, run, run, run. Maybe, what if, what if we said a simple prayer, Lord, what would you have me do? Okay. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. Think about that wind. And break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? So God is in that still small voice. And he speaks today. And, and we won't read the rest, but he preserves his remnant. The end of this chapter, the Lord informs mistaken Elijah, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. He had his remnant in that time. It was a complete number, 7,000. And he has his remnant, remnant today. The Lord guides. I'm reminded of Psalm 23. Think about the afflictions that David went through that Saul wickedly persecuted him for 13 years, even though he knew he was anointed. He knew that his own son, Jonathan, had sworn to him uh, faithfulness. And so his son, Jonathan, could see, but Saul, in his wickedness, in his selfishness, his pride, remember the, the five I wills from Isaiah 14? In his pride, he couldn't see, and he, he reviled him and warred against him. And David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He leadeth me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I'm sorry. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so, unlike what Elijah did there, going out on his own, imagine how hard it is to venture from Jerusalem, 2700 B.C., to Mount Sinai. And yet, the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord equips. Turning now to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What is it that you really need in your life? And I'm not talking about a video game. I'm not talking about new wheels. I'm not talking about a pretty girl. I'm talking about what, what do you really need? Do you need peace? Do you need to know your Savior in a new and powerful way? Do you need to see him as he is and not as how you fashion him to be in your fallen, dark, glassed perception? Ask and it shall be given to you. The Lord raises up. There are too many examples in Scripture. We'd be here all day. I'll mention a few. Gideon is one of my favorite stories. I feel like I've walked a bit of a path of Gideon. Gideon was an Israelite. It's during the time of the occupation of the Midianites, and they steal all the Jews' food, and that's no fun. So Gideon's down in the, in the wine press, which is for pressing the grapes for wine, of course. But he's threshing the wheat because it's a depressed spot in the town and he can thresh the wheat and hopefully the Midianites don't steal all this food. (laughs) And there's an appearance, and again, I think this is a Christophany. I think it's Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. And, uh, And he says, greetings, Gideon, O mighty man of valor. O mighty man of valor. And that's actually what Gideon's name means, O mighty man of valor. Well, he doesn't look like a mighty man of valor, but God saw who who he really was and who he was going to be with God's exhortation, God's encouragement, God's strength. And so he called him, O mighty man of valor. And later, of course, he led the Israelites, led a tiny army of the Israelites to defeat the mighty Midianite army in a miraculous way so that God got the credit. God raised up Rahab. Rahab was what we would call a madam. And, uh, but she happened to live in a city called Jericho. And it was God's will that Jericho's walls would be flattened to the earth if the Israelites would be obedient. And so 
Joshua sent his spies in to Jericho, and of course they spied the place out, and Rahab gave them comfort. She gave them cover. And ultimately when the walls came down, all the walls came down, but her section where she lived. And she was spared, and she now has the honor of being listed in the lineage of our Savior in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Samson was a great character, a a man risen up by God, who, as we all know, fell. You know, he was a Nazarite. And Nazarites were never to drink strong drink. They were never to touch anything dead, and they were never to cut their hair. And no, I'm, I'm not working on being a Nazarite, but I am enjoying a season of no haircuts, although my girls miss the donuts at Thomas Barbershop, so... One day, one day. But uh, Samson drank strong drink, and God let it pass. And Samson reached into the body of that dead lion because he wanted some honey, and God let it pass. And then Samson fell for the wiles of a beautiful woman. And she asked over and over, and he played games with her. And ultimately, he told her, really, yes, it's, you know, my strength is in my hair. And the spies came in, they cut his hair, and then they took his sight from him because as a picture of what he had been living, he, he was already blind before they took his eyes. Blind to the power of his Lord, the faithfulness of his Lord, the, but ultimately the judgment of his Lord that if, if you're going to keep going and you're going to keep going and you're going to let them cut your hair, you're going to let them take from you uh, the, the blessings that I've given you, this opportunity for grace, have it your way. And he spent what seems like years, must have been years, in slavery, right, pushing the, the millstone like the oxen would uh, because he, he had lost his strength, but he was still strong. But, of course, the foolish Philistines let his hair grow out. They forgot to give, keep him trimmed. And so they had this spectacular show, you know, for the pagan, the, the demon worshipers. And they brought out Samson as a show. And to Samson's credit, well, he was clearly humbled at this point, but he turned back to God and he said, God, if you give me my strength, give me your strength. One more time, I'll honor you. And he brought down that wicked house. And scripture says that he killed more in that one day than all the Philistines he had slayed on behalf of his God and the Israelites before that. The Lord moves. We know in 1 King 18, I talked before about the, the contest with the wicked priests of Baal and how God moved for Elijah to bring the Israelite people back to him. He also moves in Nehemiah 6, and of course I love Nehemiah because I I named my book Nehemiah Strong because I think that's the spirit of the season that we're living in. We have to be, be wall builders. We have to build with one hand and have our hand on our weapon with, with the other hand, right? That's the season we live in. And so in Nehemiah 6, Nehemiah has been sent back by the, the uh, Medo-Persian king to rebuild the wall. The Jews have already actually already been back, I believe, for 20 years. 
can't build the wall in 20 years. God's not in it. But the Lord built the house, the builders built in vain. See that? So then God picks Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes back with another remnant. And then we read in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies, Nehemiah writing, heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The Lord makes victorious. Remember I talked before about Joshua, Joshua 1.9, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Joshua, in Joshua's famous long day, they're, they're battling with the uh, Amorites. Five Amorite kings, of course, flee the battlefield because they see how it's going. Joshua calls out to God and said, Lord, hold the sun in its place and the moon in the valley till, till this, this slaughter is complete to, to, to do, finish their enemies. And, and uh, that's when the sun stood in the sky a day so that the battle continued and continued that they could finish their work. If you think that's a fairy tale, you should investigate the records of the astronomers in China who wrote around this time of, this would have been about 20, when would this have been? About 1000 BC and, uh, or I'm sorry, maybe about 1300 BC. The Chinese recorded a long night, in case you were wondering. It was right in that time frame. So anyway, we know that the Lord moves, but after this battle, the five Amorite kings fled, hid in a cave, walled themselves in. His men found them, said, what do we do? He said, bring them forth, line them up in front of all the people. So you had five kings. Pick any five present-day kings you'd like who are of the wicked variety and imagine them lined up on the ground. And then he said to the captains of his army, he said, go put your boots on their necks. He's got a, a lesson to teach. And so these, these army captains have their boots on their necks. They're standing on them. And we read from Joshua 10.25. Joshua said to them, so this is him teaching Joshua 1.9 to his men 10 chapters later. He says, Joshua said unto them, fear not, nor be dismayed, be strong and of good courage. Does that ring a bell? For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. You fight in a godly way, in a way that honors your God, and he will give you the victory. So I'll ask you, we've talked about a few of these incredible, extraordinary, miraculous stories. By the way, if they were not true, in the time of the writing of these books, everyone would have, would have dismissed it as hogwash. Everyone would have known it was a lie, but they knew it to be true because their grandparents had taught them. And then they read it in scripture and they knew, right? So I ask you, how big is the God that you serve? Yes. Do you perceive God through human, a, your human lens? Do you craft an idol and, and put that idol in your heart 
between you and God and you think of God with limitations. You think of God as a crafting of your own heart. I would exhort you not to do that. In Psalm 135, it talks about the builders of idols of silver and gold and they wrap the silver and gold around the wood. And it says, the idols have ears but do not hear. The idols have mouths but do not speak. There's no breath in them. They have eyes but do not see. The men who craft the idols as are the idols and those who follow, follow them are like them as well. And so if you have crafted an idol and put it in place of the living God who spoke the universe into existence, I exhort you to consider how great your God really is and, and get that idol out of your life, out of your mind, out of your spirit. The Lord calls. Are you called? Yes. Isaiah 59, 19, one of my favorites. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. Amen. That word there, the, the Lord, that's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who has a banner. That's your Lord, and he's raising a standard. And we know that that standard is his son. We're to put eyes on him, we're to be like him, and we're to run to the battle. You know, one of the things I love about hearing stories about military, law enforcement, fire department, EMS, when everyone else is running out, they're the ones running in. That's a picture for you in this hour. You know, in preparing for this, the last few weeks, I've had a chance to talk to different people about Nehemiah Strong and preparing for this, and this is a, uh, an important morning for me. And um, I was really struck with a deep truth that I'd like to share with you. We know that our God changes not. He doesn't change. And we know that Satan is wicked through and through, as are his minions, the tares, the goats, and his hierarchy of the damned, the, the, the demonic spirits. So, what's the variable in this equation? I'm a logical guy, I think logically. This is a constant, this is a constant. What's in between? You are. We and those who would receive the gospel are the only variable in this equation. The wicked, the, the earth dwellers, they're going to do what they do. The fallen angels, the demonic spirits, the demonic hordes, they're going to do what they do. God is God. And we are the difference makers. We are called to be salt and light in this world, in this hour, in this time. So what then are we to do? Psalm 11.3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? For so long, I thought of that as a rhetorical question. Oh, well, let me ruminate on that. There are a lot of answers <laughs> to that question. Uh, it's not meant to be rhetorical. 
Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name, are you all with me? Yeah. You with me? Yeah. Okay, not bored yet? Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, if, if my people, not the earth dwellers, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Are you on your knees? Are you repentant? Are you leading a prayer group? Are you guys seeking God's face? Are you turning from your wicked ways? Are you, are you, are you uh, sloughing off the dross of repetitive sin that dogs you? Whatever your flavor of sin, I got mine, we've all got one or more. Are you skimming that off? Have discernment like the sons of Issachar. And I love, this, I love this passage. David is forming his army. He's finally become king of Israel as we knew he would since he was anointed. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, it's detailing the various tribes of Israel that are sending their soldiers to join David's army. Apparently, they didn't have a draft. And in 1 Chronicles eleven thirty two, 32, we read, And of the children of Issachar, the sons of Issachar, the descendants, the tribe of Issachar, one of the 12 sons of um, Jacob, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200. They had 200 captains, and all of them were at David's command. They understood. And think about how, how often you get 200 men to agree on something. There is not one dissenter. 200 men. And they all joined David's army. Seek knowledge and understanding. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are, people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And, and what's convicting about that is if you read on, he says, because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you. So if you don't take knowledge soberly, you should rethink that. Be active. Uh, another truth that, that I've, <laughs> I was stunned a little by when I came to realize it is that our passivity is permissive in the face of creeping evil. We're passive, it is tacit permission. If there is someone teaching the doctrine of Sodom in your elementary school, you do something about it. It gives aid and comfort to the camp of the enemy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a courageous, spirit-filled pastor in Germany in the time of the Nazis. He ultimately was assassinated by Hitler's minions just two weeks before the end of World War II. It was already over. But Bonhoeffer wrote, to not speak is to speak. To not act is to act. If you don't stand up for righteousness, you are tacitly standing up for evil. So let's do a quick equipment check. How's your prayer life? Are you really seeking God's face? There's a psalm in here, Psalm 91, and it's a, it's a premium grade uh, blessings psalm. 
It's not available to everyone. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Are you dwelling in his secret place? Are you seeking his face? Do you really want to pass up the promises that God makes in Psalm 91? A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes wilt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. If you don't want that, that's your business. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are you walking in righteousness? I talked about repetitive sin a few minutes ago. Always grounded in repentant faith. Remember that a herald came, as we knew he would because of prophecy. A herald came, John the Baptist, to make straight the way for the Lord. And his, his ministry was repent and believe, repent and believe. There is no belief without repentance. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And then after that, he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you're walking in repetitive sin, you're not useful to God. If you're not repentantly reflecting his glory in your life through your pressing into this fight by putting down the flesh in your life, you've got work to do. You, you, you're not even eligible to be on this battlefield. But if you do those things, then you get to have the glorious opportunity to honor the one who died for you by being faithful to him and saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Luke 6:46. why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Are you, have, and I made this mistake, so I can, I can speak to this with authority for decades. Have you made Jesus your savior and you haven't made him your Lord? Do you know that God will not be mocked? You don't get, it's not a Chinese buffet. You don't get to a little bit of this and an extra portion of grace and I'm gonna skip the repentance of, you know, it doesn't sit on my stomach right. You take the repentance and you get the salvation. Do you think you know Jesus, but does he know you? And I'm going to turn to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. Starting in verse 20, Matthew 7. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Repent and believe. Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, Jesus speaking, this is red letter, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
ye that work iniquity. Somebody is going to be hearing those words. I never knew you. Don't let that be you. How grateful are you for what he did for you? Was the price that he paid enough? Was that scourging with the whips that ripped the skin off his back? Was it enough to earn your devotion? You know, I'm convinced that Jesus' wounds will be the only scars in heaven. You know, I've, ha- I've had five knee surgeries. I got, you know, my knees are nothing to look at. I'm, I'm convinced that when we're given a glorified body, we leave all that stuff behind. But we know from his appearing to the, uh, his mother, Mary Magdalene, the 12, the 500, we know from his appearing that he still carried his wounds. And I'm convinced he always will as a testament to what he did for us. The truth of the matter is we can never do enough. That's, that's, that is, a, that is a, a void that we can never fill. But as sure as he's returning, you can make an effort commensurate with your gifts that he saw fit to give you. What are we willing to do in response to his great glorious beneficence, beneficence toward, toward, towards us, towards you individually? Consider what the apostles did, what Stephen did, what Paul did. And when you think you've got it hard, let's, let's hear how Paul had it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. They stripped his back five times. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night and day I've been in the deep. And yet, in that same letter, second letter to the Corinthians in chapter four, chapter four Paul, who suffered all these things, wrote, starting in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all com- comparison. Consider the heroes of our faith of Hebrews 11. There's a, there's a passage from a, one of my favorite hymns by William Walsham Howe. He wrote, Oh, may thy soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, fight as the saints who nobly fought of old, and win with them the victor's crown of gold. Alleluia, alleluia. Will that be describing you in this season? Will you stand up for the one who paid the price for you? He was seated on a throne of glory and he humbled himself first to a lowly carpenter from nowheresville, Nazareth, and then humbled himself all the way to the cross. And he could have saved himself at any moment. He could have called down 12 legions of angels And he left that aside so that you could live. I'm going to wind up here because I'm running over. (laughs) I've never done this before, so please bear with me. 
few exhortations for you before we go. Revelation 12 and 11, they overcame, they, who's they in this hour? We overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their te- our testimony, and we loved not our lives unto the death. John is writing of somebody, somebody's going to do this. Is it going to include you? Don't try and do it under your own strength. Do it in his strength and you be obedient. Ecclesiastes 4.12, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I receive this day, and I'd like an amen if you agree, that our threefold cord, threefold, threefold cord is Jesus' salvation, our repentant obedience, and the Holy Spirit's quickening power. That's our threefold cord. And we will not be easily broken. Proceed always with the gospel in mind. Remember that list that Paul supernaturally gave us, that word of God, where he's telling us that the armor of God. Remember that the shoes, which are what leads you, every step you go, shod in the preparation of peace, which is the gospel. And first, Peter wrote in first, first Peter chapter three, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Amen. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Will you, will you be among those hearty, honored believers? In Ephesians 6.10, when, right before Paul goes through his list of the armor of God, he says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in his might. Amen. Deal with fear. Fear is a liar. Amen. I'm convinced that fear is elemental to victory for our enemies and their plans to destroy us. Amen. First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When you're fearful, you press into God. Lay it, lay it on him because the work is finished. Jesus said on the cross to tell us die, it is finished. Matthew 10, 28, and fear not them which kill, kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear in this context is reverent awe. He doesn't want you running from him. He wants you running to him. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee. The wicked flee when none pursue, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Are you bold as a lion? I had a really crummy first cover for my book. <laughs> it, was, it was what I came up with. Mary will attest. She has an early copy. That flaming lion head of Judah is the cover that God gave me a month or so later. And I, was stri- I knew there was something better, and, and that's what he gave me. But when you strive to look like Jesus, strive to look like that. 
Because when he comes back in his glory, he's not going to be a broken body on a cross. He's going to be the Lion of Judah. No drawing back. Hebrews 10.39, but we are not of them who draw back under perdition, hell, judgment, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. You press into your faith. Lift one another up. Do not forsake the gathering of the saints. Be salt and light. A couple of weeks ago, I know Pastor David preached on salt and light. I won't uh, duplicate that, but I will ask you this question. There are going to be Christians who are put on trial for being Christian. If you're put on trial, will there be enough evidence to convict you? There better be. Walk in the truth alone, Luke 8, 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Walk in the light. Walk in God's truth. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember Peter on the water? I think a lot of people forget that two people walked on water that day. Jesus, of course, walked on water. Everybody talks about Jesus walking on water. Well, what's even more extraordinary, he's the son of God. Of course he walked on water. He made the water. Peter walked on water. He said, Lord, can I come out and walk to you? Yeah, come on, Peter. Peter was the only one, by the way. Every, Peter gets, a, gets a, a bad rap, right, for being a little overbold. But he was the only one who said, hey, can I walk to you? So he starts walking. And then he turned his focus on the storm. And he started to sink. And then he had the rightness of mind to cry out to Jesus. And it says instantly, not, not even a delay, instantly Jesus picked him up, lifted him up out of the water. Strive forward. We know from Scripture, from Jesus' own mouth, that there are those who will hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Remember that biblical heroism usually doesn't look like worldly heroism. It's not going to be an action movie that would sell a lot of tickets in Hollywood. But it's going to require faith and courage and boldness. Provide for your family, and that includes protection. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I submit that providing for your family does not stop at earning a paycheck, putting food on the table. I think it includes protection even in a season like this. Well, especially a season like this. Got a few final thoughts here. I'd like to turn to Revelation 19. This is what we have to look forward to, starting in verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed, upon him, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Will that be you? And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I, can, I exhort you to consider the lateness of the hour. We're 11th hour workers. The, the time is so short. Is there someone you'd like to see in heaven? Is there someone that you've lacked the boldness for to share the gospel with because they might think you strange and their eternal salvation is hanging in the balance on the other side? Luke 21, 28, and when these things, this is Jesus speaking, he's describing the last days. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Regardless of when you believe the rapture is going to happen, the hour is late. Don't pass up an opportunity to make a difference. You know, we read from Isaiah 59 and about how when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard. Jehovah Nisi raising up his standard. Daniel 11.32 answers that call. He describes believers in the last days. Daniel writes, but they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Someone in this hour, there are, there are believers who are going to be strong and they're going to do exploit, exploits in this hour. I exhort you to be, be among those mighty men of God. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, most high God, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Lord, we know that we are amongst your hosts, your human hosts, your remnant. And Lord, we thank you that you saw fit to condescend to us, to reach down from on high and to send your son that he could die, that we could live. So thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I pray, give us strength, give us courage, give us your spirit, Lord, your strength that we might be faithful to you to the end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.